0: Welcome to the Freedom from Anxiety Podcast. I'm Trisha Easter and my husband Marty is here with me too. Hey,
1: good morning.
0: The Freedom from Anxiety podcast, I feel like is very important because it's we're having open and honest conversations about anxiety and mental health. And it's with these conversations that helps to break down the stigma. The more we talk about anxiety, the less of the stigma. I feel like the Freedom from Anxiety podcast is important. Because we're having open and honest conversations about anxiety and mental health. And this is what's needed to help break down the mental health stigma. The freedom from anxiety. We're freeing ourselves from old belief systems. We're freeing ourselves from perhaps narratives. Uh, We're healing ourselves so that we can restore our freedom. Perhaps certain freedoms that we've lost because of anxiety. We're freeing ourselves to be be ourselves, to be our authentic selves, free to accept. And in this podcast, we're going to talk about chapter one of my book, freeing ourselves to accept, process, and express our emotions. Three things I want you to know without a doubt in your heart, listening to this podcast, or if you're reading my book, or if you're reading my blogs, anything. If you have anxiety, number one three things I want you to know. The first one is you haven't done anything wrong. You haven't mishandled your emotions. You haven't manifested anxiety. These old belief systems are reckless and outdated and they do so much harm to people who have anxiety. They do not help at all. So number one, know in your heart that you have done nothing wrong. Number 2 you are not alone. Because of the stigma, so many people don't talk about anxiety, but it is so prevalent and it is so common. So you are not alone with your struggles with anxiety. Know that you're you're not the oddball. And the thing is, though, is so many people with having who have anxiety, it, it's a it's a reaction to the environments around us. And sometimes it's a response to other people around us who have anxiety. A lot of times, and this is what we're going to talk about in this chapter, is not our own anxiety. And the number three thing I want you to know is that you can heal anxiety. You can free yourself from anxiety, and you, you can heal.
1: So um, last podcast, we covered the introduction, which kind of gives you an overview of the whole book. But this time, uh, we're getting into chapter one. Um why trust our feelings and emotions? So why did you start with this for chapter one?
0: So chapter one is so important because the rest of the chapters in the book all come from... It's it's important to learn the other chapters in the book, the other trusts in the book, once we trust our feelings and emotions. Trusting our feelings and emotions ties up with trusting our intuition Our feelings and our emotions are sort of messages from our soul, messages from the divine. All of this is connected. And by learning to trust our feelings and emotions, we can go through the other trusts as well because they all stem from our feelings and emotions. Our feelings and emotions are so downplayed in the world and society, but it's they're the backbone of who we are there is they are they are gifts it's how we experience our lives and it's how again how i said before it's how the our soul communicates with us it's how the divine communicates with us it is you know the the strong emotions the the more pleasant emotions they are it's, it's the richness of our lives so our Emotions need to be truly embraced, not only to live our lives to our fullest, but also to heal anxiety. And it's the acceptance of all our emotions that heals and heals anxiety. When we are not, when we're not in touch with our emotions, and when we're we're shutting them down, or when we're saying to ourselves, "Oh, I shouldn't feel this way. I should feel that way instead," we're shutting down. The internal communication in our bodies. Um, This disrupts the energy flow in our bodies and this is what causes emotions. Later on in chapter one, I talk about, it's called an emotion concoction, like a uh, witch's brew. So when we do not trust our emotions, when we're not um, accepting them, processing them, and we're just perhaps, like, running from them, um, which is what I used to do. We They get kind of mixed in this, like, big witch's cauldron, and they ferment, and they brew. So then little things, you know, that may not cause another person anxiety will cause us anxiety because it needs an outlet. It needs a way to come out. So by fully accepting our emotions and processing them, that's how we can that's how you heal anxiety. That That's the first step in healing anxiety. I'm going to talk about when I first wrote this chapter, I had this story in the book, but then I took it out. But I'm going to talk about it in the podcast. Um, when, you know, my, when my kids were younger in school, my daughter is still in school. She's homeschooled right now. Uh, when the Boys were in public school, and when my daughter, my daughter was in public school for a little while too. I used to volunteer in the classrooms a lot, and in my son's class, one of my boys' class, I would help out once a week in the class, and I felt sort of like, do you remember, um, like the heavy in the class? I used to, I used to help out and. She would have me like check all the kids' homework, and if they didn't get homework, their homework done, they couldn't go out to recess, which I thought for second grade was kind of harsh because some kids just don't have that emotional support at home.
1: Right. And, they were, and she was making you do the uh, was, dirty work there for that one.
0: I was the heavy, which was, uh, I loved helping out the kids, but I did not like that part. I don't, because I think the ones that couldn't get their homework done, I don't think they they knew that because of what happened with me, they could or could not go to recess. So there was this one girl, and I, her name, I, I'm going to call her Claire. Her name is not Claire, and I, I just can't remember the name of her, her name. But she was always crying in class, and she... You know, she, she cried all the time. When she was frustrated, she was crying. I think sometimes when she was sad. And I suspect there was stuff going on at home. And actually, one of the things was, like, I had to I had to check off if they had written in her journal. And so when I opened it, it was just, like, one sentence. Like, I went to my mom's house. So I went to my dad's house. And I knew she was a, you know, her parents were divorced. And there might have been some drugs, you know, with the parents there too. I don't, I don't know the details, but the one thing that did give me comfort, she did seem very close. Like she had a, you know, good relationship with her dad. But when I, when I read that, when I had to check her journal, I saw the thing about the divorce um, and she was super cute. And I I always felt like she reminded me of my daughter and she was smaller than all the other girls, the girls in the class she, you know, so I, I kind of, I felt for her. And so I always try to be, you know, extra nice to her, extra kind to her. But when I read the, I think the thing in her journal about the divorce, something about that when I left, I mean, I really felt for her and I came home and I cried and I was, I was, um, I don't know. I just, I cried and I, I did not know if I could go back in the classroom without crying. And I think I thought at the time it was cause I was so, you know, she reminded me of my daughter and I can't imagine, my, you know, not only that girl going through it, but you know, I can relate to it more cause of, you know, my daughter went mm-hmm. through it. But then later on, I think I realized it was, I saw myself in her, but the good thing about this this girl was that she was actually getting these emotions out of her. She was, she was crying. She was getting out. And I remember it made me think about when I was in elementary school. And if my goal every year was to not, I wanted to go a whole year without crying in school. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't like this girl where I cried all the time, but once in a while I would. And I remember feeling like ultimate shame an embarrassment if I did cry in school at that, at that young age, and I think you know the, why. Why is this, is this, is this, is there this shame and embarrassment for showing our emotions? I think that's kind of a little bit more indicative of our society in general. That even at a young age, I knew I was embarrassed and i knew i felt shame if i cried and showed showed emotions and i think some you know with this girl that that was in my son's class i think also which i talk about later in this chapter is i was an empath too i i'm I've, i am empathic as well an empath and i i didn't know it at the time but i think i was also picking up on her feelings as well which can be good but also can be you know if we don't have protective measures, it can also have. Uh, it can be hard for somebody with anxiety. And the really disturbing thing about this story about the girl, this girl, Claire, is I did mention it to, um, in this chapter, I do talk about a counselor that I saw for 20 years who was, I believe, narcissistic, very invalidating, um, at times inappropriate. Um, so when I did talk to her about... I was like, what is going on? I saw this girl and all these emotions just, I was just crying and stuff. And she was very dismissive. And she's like, oh, you're too sensitive. She just kind of blew it off.
1: Right, so if the counselor tells you you're too sensitive, you might be thinking about another counselor a, a
0: That is, that is, but I didn't know that at the time, you know, I was just like, at, at the time, I'm like, okay, well, she's the counselor, she's the expert, so I'm going to trust her rather than myself, and yeah, maybe I am too sensitive, but that sensitivity is actually the empath part of me, which is actually a gift, and if and you know any of you listening are sensitive, know that your sensitivities are a gift. There's nothing to be ashamed about that.
1: So how um, how do our feelings and emotions affect anxiety in the
0: body? I feel like it's it's nuanced. So anxiety is something that we feel we feel it emotionally, we feel it physically in our bodies. And to heal anxiety, we need to get in touch with our emotions. Yet when we have anxiety, it feels like our emotions like, are on fire. So the last things we want to do is to get in touch with our feelings when we have anxiety. But yet that's, that's what we kind of need to do, kind of. It is what we need to do to heal anxiety. It's, and it's understandable that we want to run from our feelings since anxiety feels so bad. You know, anxiety is our body's warning system that something or many things in our lives is not is, is um, not good for us. It's actually harming us. It's not in our best interest. So anxiety is sort of a, like an alarm system for our body and our body minds and our souls. We, and if we can bring down anxiety a notch, then we can lean into it and learn from it and see what it's warning us about which can sound torturous when you have anxiety to, you want to run from it. It feels so bad. You want to make it stop, but we need to stop running from it. We need to just, okay, what's going on here? When did this anxiety show up? Why am I feeling this? And start paying attention to what I guess is triggering anxiety and then go and to see what it's trying to tell us about it. It's actually I, I, I hate to say this but I felt like my anxiety thank goodness for my anxiety because it showed me all the dysfunction in my life. Right. And it, anxiety and our emotions it's also nuanced because so many of us we were out of touch with our feelings. We're completely so if we are try to, trying to lean into our feelings We don't really know exactly what we're feeling. It just—it just feels like a bunch of emotions. And in fact, I highly recommend Brené Brown's Atlas of the Heart book because it goes in. It it describes each emotion. It's giving us a uh, like a dictionary to teach us about our emotions. And so, when we were talking about doing this podcast and talking about our emotions, Marty. You mentioned how we don't receive an emotion education.
1: Yeah, I mean, especially. I mean, I'll just speak for myself, right? As a as a guy growing up in a rural area mm-hmm. and you know going off into the world, at no point are you encouraged to think about your emotional state. You know, that's not the mm-hmm. that's not the ma- the male model, and um, and even you know even I think raising boys, you see that it, girls are more expected to have emotions than boys but you know emotions run strong in boys obviously if you if you've ever seen a boy you know they get mad they get sad they get they have the whole range um but you're just it's not a normal thing to learn how to to deal with those and where that comes from and what it what it really feels you know just you feel it and you're told to kind of put away and deal with it versus um processing it i think there's a big difference there
0: yeah, and I, I do think that's something we did with our boys. We obviously yeah. with our do- our daughter. Our daughter was completely different. When you know, compared to the boys, she was like two. She um, she went up to Marty, and I think she's two years old. And she went up to Marty. She's like, "Daddy, I'm upset, and I'm upset because of this."
1: Yeah, and I said, "What the hell that just happened?" Because I had, <laughs> after two boys, I'd never. That was a whole new experience for me. I'm like. Not only is she putting complete sentences together at that point, but she's, like, expressing her emotions instead of just pointing, grunting, and hitting, which is what I was used to.
0: Well, but I was going to say with the boys, too, I feel like we, you know, boys are completely different. You know, I won't say completely different, but they they process things differently. But I feel like we we never put that, oh, you're a boy, don't cry. We never did that with them, which i'm I'm so glad we did, because right, even though tough. you got
1: this,
0: I wasn't in touch with our my feelings, we still did things differently for the kids. And I wanted to say too, like, pushing my feelings aside, pushing my emotions aside is a sure guarantee for me to have to feel anxiety. It's especially like the big feelings. For example, And if I'm not staying present with him, if I push him aside and not now, if you've read my blogs, you know, like this past year, I had some, some things that were sad for me. Like my, my oldest son went to New Mexico for six, seven months as a wildland firefighter. And we knew we probably wouldn't see him for that whole six, seven months because of his schedule. It was, you know, very last minute going to fires. And so we couldn't even plan a trip out to go see him and vice versa. He would only have like a few days off. He couldn't come see us. So him leaving, I was very sad about that. And I noticed a couple of times just trying to push it aside, you know, that was triggering triggering a little bit of anxiety for me. And then um, same with my younger son going off to college again, so many emotions with that. And if I push that aside, it, was causing anxiety for me. So, I
1: mean, how do we learn to trust our feelings and emotions and sort through them?
0: So I figured out when I was doing this, there's three steps. One Step one is to identify and accept your feelings without judgment. Two, give yourself permission to process your emotions. And giving yourself permission is, is, is about giving yourself the time the space, being patient with yourself. And the third step is practicing discernment. What are your, and this is where the empath information comes in, which is very critical for people who have anxiety and it's discerning between what's your feelings versus maybe what you're picking up from. Maybe if another person's feeling like anger or if they're impatient or if they're feeling anxiety, a lot of times that's not yours. It, and that is, um, that's a, a huge piece of information, I think. So step one, let's start with step one, identifying and accepting your feelings without judgment. So I'm going to read some of the family messages that I have in the book. Some messages that I heard growing up and also how I rewrote them. Because a lot of times I believe these messages, oh gosh, I believe them without questioning it. Mm-hmm. And by rewriting them and just kind of like, okay, who says who? Like for example, the first one, you shouldn't feel that way. Says who? Who are other people to tell me how I should or shouldn't feel? So another a way to rewrite it is to say, I am safe and secure in all of my feelings one of the things I heard, don't show people how you really feel. Why not? It was almost like, oh, that's, you're being reckless if you show people how you really feel. And it's like, it. so to rewrite it, I, it's, it is safe for me to show my authentic self. It's not reckless. You're being authentic to yourself. Just pretend that you're okay. Again, that's part of the stigma. Let's be honest and open with how we are feeling, how we're coping about our experiences. So the rewriting that is, I have good days and bad days and that's okay. In fact, that's life. Don't be upset. You're you're tough. Oh, I had that, you're tough label put on me. Most of my childhood, which is you should never do that to a child because that just gives them, a, it makes them feel like they're, it made me feel like, I couldn't have emotions, I couldn't be emotional. I had to be strong for everybody when I was, you know, I was the child. So it takes strength to be in touch with my emotions. And then my favorite, you're too sensitive. And the truth is my sensitivity is a gift. Some other ones I've heard as an adult that You know, like recently there's, I've seen stuff that says like, oh, chill out, which is gaslighting. You know, you don't have to chill out if you're not, if you're not there, you're not there and that's okay. Also, I've, you know, around certain people, they'll talk about their experiences and their emotions, but you know, or whatever there was going on. And then I'll say, oh yeah, I'm having a hard time with this. And then I hear, oh, but everything's okay now. You're fine. And that is, that's gaslighting. And it's also with these certain people that do that, I feel like that's their way of, I don't want to talk about you. I want to talk about me. Oh, you're fine. Back to me, which is again, narcissistic. Then there's also society messages, messages from society about emotion and it's so confusing cuz it goes both ways and just to touch on this one of my pet peeves raising our kids was when I seeing other people do it but also people try to do it to our kids it was a pet peeve of mine if they were crying people would come up and try to shush, you know try to shush them and that used to again I guess I just kind of intuitively knew but it's like don't you shush my kids <laughs> They're crying, let them cry, let them get out. You can comfort them, hold them, comfort them. But if they need to cry, let them get it out. And if something's bothering them, try to figure out what's bothering them. Just don't try to get them to be quiet. You, you probably remember that.
1: Yeah, I do. And one thing I'll throw in there, too, because I feel like, especially as I'm you know, going through this process myself, and is that the more out of touch I am and uncomfortable with my own emotions more affected I am by emotions and others and children and things like that. So I think that there's probably some of those people who were really unhappy with their own right. s- state. And then they're, so hearing a kid was just kind of a sensitive spot for them. It was making, it was kind of triggering their own emotional mm-hmm. reaction. Mm-hmm. They want, you know, I don't
0: think not everyone does it with bad intentions. But that's just what they've done. Though. Right. I you know perhaps what they've learned to do. So they want, they're, they're just, they're just kind of passing it on. But I feel like that is something we definitely did not do with our kids. You know, just if you got to cry, let it out. Right. So with all of these messages and you can call them messages and call them narratives. They are all, it's all gaslighting. It's trying to tell you how you should or shouldn't feel. It's, it's it's trying to create the script for your life and there's this it ends today you write the script to heal anxiety you need to be in touch with your emotions so that you can live your life authentically rather than based on someone else's narratives so then the next section we t- I talk about is honest emotions and i talk about i think the big thing is Labeling our emotions, and, and this is part of like the societal messages as well. Like some some feelings are good, positive emotions. Some feelings are negative emotions. That's got to end too. All of our emotions are okay. There's, they all have a place in our lives. It's actually yeah, we're snowing outside. I'm just looking up out mm-hmm. outside, but um. So, anyways, the when we stop judging our emotions. And stop labeling them. I mean, you can label them like, oh, I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm frustrated. But stop labeling them positive or negative, which is a judgment. Then I think we're more open to accepting all of our emotions and letting each emotion. And I heard this somewhere, but just saying to that emotion, like, if whatever you're feeling, just saying, you're safe with me. To
1: your emotion
0: saying that like you have a place in me so your body feels safe with that emotion and by feeling safe with it and by accepting your emotions without judgment then you're able to to process them and that is the big thing to be able to process them so that they are they are out of your body and I feel like by labeling our emotions where we feel pressured to feel a certain way like right now it's the holidays and we've had so much going on I don't necessarily feel this holiday joy all the time and that's okay so I'm going to talk about these are some of the honest emotion questions I'm going to read from my book are you judging your own emotions do you feel guilty when you feel like you're having a bad day do you feel conflicted around the holidays if you don't feel joy all the time Do you hide your true feelings for fear of being judged? Do you fear attracting negativity in your life if you feel perceived, quote-unquote, negative emotions? And so to allow honest emotions in your life, you need to, one, tell yourself that all your feelings and emotions are okay and give yourself permission to feel them. Remind yourself that there are no negative emotions And I highly recommend writing down in a journal at least five feelings or emotions that you're experiencing in that moment. And so what that does is when we've been gaslit for a lifetime about our emotions and we're unsure what we're feeling, by saying, even if it's just like, hmm, I'm feeling cold, I'm feeling tired, whatever it is, it's making you Tune into yourself and tuning, tune into your feelings. And it brings you back into yourself. So that just, uh, and I say five feelings because, yes, you can have up to five feelings. Um, most of us just think, okay, I'm one thing or two things, which is normal, too, to think that. But we can feel a lot of things just by, it really makes you stop and think and tune into your body. Yeah,
1: so, you know, for... Us as we we learn to trust them and, and start to understand our feelings, but then how do we how do we process those?
0: Right, because we're not taught how
1: to process right. our emotions. Good. It's
0: feel when you're feeling these strong over emotion, emotions, it's very overwhelming. So, what I learned is that there's three steps. So the first one is to isolate it in your body, which means where in your body do you feel this emotion most emotions we feel somewhere in our body and just by locating where you feel it in your body just it doesn't matter where it's at but it gets you in tune with your body and feeling in your body where you feel the emotion is a step to tuning in if you tuning into that emotion By noticing where you feel it, it helps you to be present with that emotion. And like I said before, say out loud, hey, this is the second step is to feel the emotion. So once you've noticed where you feel it in your body, just sit with it and feel it for as long as either one you have time for or a lot of or just, you know, just keep feeling it, staying present with it until a lot of times it will perhaps the intensity will lessen. And sometimes it also helps, I think, to give a name to the emotion, and that's where Brene Brown's book is helpful. And sometimes you may not know exactly what the emotion is or the feeling is, and that's okay too. Just stay present with it, breathe, take deep breaths, and that will help you to to process it. And then and that's part of the third step, which is working through your emotions. And like i said sitting with it breathing through it that's something you can do in some quiet alone time meditating well like just t- taking breaths while while paying attention to that feeling and if you if you get distracted and you are not paying attention to that feeling that's okay too like in meditations i think a lot of times we're too hard on ourselves just but just sitting and breathing with it and creating space and time for you to process the emotion. Journaling is a fantastic way to process your emotions because you can just write it all out. And I feel like there's a lot of, um, magic that happens when you write. (laughs) Creating is a great way because when you're creating, you're creating from your heart, you're tuning into your, you know, your heart and creating, I feel like is a form of emotions too. So it could be your hobbies, be painting, writing, drawing, even cooking, whatever you enjoy doing, creating, spend time doing that. And also, I think physically moving is a great way to process emotions. I, you know, I, for years I ran, which is a great outlet. Also for me, I like to go walking in the woods by my house, behind my house by myself, Uh, physically moving, being in nature, being supported in nature, is a really great way to process these emotions. And I, when I, I had like a lot of anger after realizing that a counsel that counselor I talked about earlier, I worked with her for 20 years to help with anxiety and my anxiety only got worse and realizing the toxic therapy I got. So I do have a blog about toxic therapy on my website. Because I think this topic is so important, but uh, just when I had so much anger about this, and just not just uh, that, but other ish, you know other things too. Walking, it took it took I think two three weeks for the anger to come down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Understandably so. So again, and it feels incredibly uncomfortable. The anger. But we need to move through these emotions. There's a reason that they're here. And moving through the anger helped me to instill fierce boundaries so that I never give away my power like that again. And that I'm not gaslit like that again. So I, I can't say enough how important it is to go outside and walk in nature. So whatever it is you're going through, processing your emotions, Be patient with yourself. Give yourself time. If you need little breaks, you know, to watch a funny show, to just if you need, you know, it's not to be distracted, but it's just to give yourself a little break and just be aware of that and make sure that it's a break and you come back to those emotions.
1: So, you know, as you, you I think you mentioned a couple of times some bad examples and but sometimes, you know, in this process you need help, right? There's it, there's a need for somebody to kinda of, that you can reach out to and, and get support from and who's the professional with this. So can you talk more about the, the good and the bad of, of professional support?
0: Mm-hmm. So again, my blog, toxic therapy it has a list of signs of what to look for. And in my book too, I talk about it as well. And what to look for in a good therapist, but also what are the warning signs of a toxic therapist. And this is, it's so important. Like the like the counselor I saw for 20 years, which is hard to believe 20 years. Right. And you I mean, you spoke sometimes as a, married couple we went and spoke with her too and a, a time she was unprofessional right yep do you remember that time she <laughs> was telling us about how about her and her husband having sex <laughs> like
1: yeah that was awkward
0: that was so uncomfortable like why are you telling us this i think she had like a sort of outdated view on men and maybe was trying to impress you <laughs> i don't know it was yeah, weird not sure but so, yeah, this counselor, she gaslit me and validated me, was critical of me, and she often made assumptions, not only about me, but about what my thoughts and feelings were. Oh, like you're, I had, it's like you you have anxiety because you want Marty to take care of you, which was not it. But things at the time, I was like, well, maybe I do but that's not it. Cause I mean, I was always very independent. I didn't want that. And then she also said, Oh, you're, you know, Marty really enjoys having to help and, you know, take care of you. I'm like, no, this is stressful for both of us.
1: Yeah. right.
0: And I don't know why she made these assumptions and they were completely wrong. And I think the, I think the final straw, One of the final straws for me was, I think it was my, we moved to, we moved to New England, New Hampshire, and my son was a freshman in high school. And because we were, you know, a military family for 22 years. And when I mentioned that he was in school, but at, you know, in the, after school in the evenings, he was in his room. He, he loves to fly fish, so he was tying flies in his room. And she's like, she said to me, oh, no, that's not good. And I said, like, oh, why? Why is that not good? And she said, when I actually put it back on her, she said, oh, I don't know. Because <laughs> right. I think in her mind the way she experienced her childhood is in high school, you should be going out with your friends and you should be, you know, all the shoulds, you should do this, you should do that. But the reality is he was, you know, our son had just moved here and didn't know many people. So that takes time to build those friendships and relationships. So what he was doing was actually very healthy. He was coming out, coming home. He was creating something in his room and dealing with the, the hardships of moving and start, starting a new school. So it was, that was, I think, one of the warning signs for me. She was, and I talk about this later on, she was putting on, with her lens, she was trying to, and she was judging my son's, what he was doing right. through her lens. Even, not only was it her lens, But he's a couple generations away from her, too.
1: And a totally different person than she was.
0: Exactly. You know, he's a boy. He likes to fly fish. And it was completely um, just messed up. Yeah. So she also gave me some pretty terrible advice. I was going to say another word, but I won't. Um, That when I'm having, you know, a strong feeling like anger whatever, I should um, give myself 10 minutes to process it, 10 minutes to, to, to feel it, um, and then move on. You know, hey, that's it. And the truth of it is, sometimes our feelings last longer than 10 minutes. I mean, how, how messed up is that? You should only feel something for 10 minutes. I can't tell you the, how, how damaging this was for me. And I, obviously, it's not permanent because I've moved past it. But to, not only to be gaslit about my feelings, but to know that I shouldn't feel anything for more than 10 minutes, right. that is absurd. I, I was like, well, how are these people getting certified as counselors and stuff? But, and I re, looking back, I realized, so she did put herself on a pedestal. She was incredibly narcissistic. All the gaslighting—that's what the gaslighting does—is it destroys self-trust in the the targeted person to put the the narcissist in a position of power. So she completely rather because when you're go when you go to somebody, a counselor, a therapist, a coach, you're on an equal playing ground. There's no pedestals. There's no. You meet each other on the same level.
1: Right, you're there to do the work. They're there to help you. It's, it's a, to guide the
0: team. Yeah, to guide to honestly just be a sounding block. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. is that the right word?
1: Sounding board. Oops.
0: Sounding <laughs> <laughs> board. Okay. So um, she, she uh, You know, I I can't say you know I wish I'd never gone to her because it's definitely given me a good perspective now, but you know, when you, you know, for me growing up coming from a dysfunctional family, it's so hard. That's why in chapter three, I talk about, I have a whole chapter dedicated to, to what support looks like. When you come from dysfunction, you don't know what good support feels like, what it looks like, what it's supposed to be like. You just don't, when that's all, you know, It's hard to know what good
1: support is like. There's no normal baseline.
0: Yeah, yeah. So in Chapter 3, I have a whole chapter, um, and we'll talk about that when we get there, about what good support looks like in terms of family, friends, professional support, even businesses, just what it should look like. Uh, There's a quote that I absolutely love. It's from Alexandra... Trend four. And it says, the best teachers are those who show you where to look but don't tell you what to see. And that's absolutely correct because, you know, a good supportive professional, a good support professional, like I said, be it a counselor, coach, therapist, they will help you travel your own path with your own lens on and they'll try to help you they'll give you the tools to travel the tools to process your emotions but while keeping your own lens on they will i'm going to say this this is so important they will never be critical of you never this is there's no room for that they will be kind compassionate professional and a lot of professionals will also they'll give you space to talk rather than trying to dominate the conversation Mm -hmm. so I'm going to read this section from my book because again this is so important I'm not trying to steer anybody away from getting professional support actually both Marty and I um, have someone that we talk to for support
1: yeah different people different kind of approaches but um, both very helpful I think to each of us Mm -hmm. individually
0: so luckily I found like this wonderful, uh, holistic support practitioner who I work with and, and it's, it's so comforting and it's been life changing. When you have that supportive person in your corner, Marty goes to a counselor himself. Okay. So this is from my book Among some healing professionals. There is a perception that you can control your emotions, allowing you to control anxiety and no longer be affected by it. I strongly disagree. This kind of thinking lays the groundwork for people to judge their emotions and the emotions of others. It also sets the stage for anxiety sufferers to feel like failures because they aren't controlling their emotions properly, further exacerbating anxiety. It's another ingredient added to your emotion concoction. The whole idea of controlling your emotions is impossible. You can control how you express your emotions, but you can't control what you feel. Ultimately, these mental health professionals are gaslighting their clients again it's this whole idea of controlling your emotions it's reckless it's got to end any type of this is another part from my book any type of professional support that invalidates people's feelings and emotions and sometimes attention intense emotions is reckless these support professionals are triv- trivializing people's emotions in their lives. Healing anxieties about giving yourself time and space to process your emotions, not control them. And then this part two from my book, shortly after that, is very important. Even though anxiety is felt internally by the client, these professionals should instead address what is external to the client that has either caused the anxiety and or feeds it. I think there is a portion of healing anxiety that requires you to look in. That is very important. But there's another huge component that requires you to see, okay, what's around me? Who's around me? Because, again, that that is a big contributor to anxiety. Ultimately, with professional support, you are the expert of yourself. Only you have that title. Regardless of the person's qualifications, Whatever, it all comes down to you are the expert expert of yourself.
1: In the book, you talk about um, discernment. Can you talk about you know what that means in terms of your your emotions and, and how it relates to anxiety? So
0: discernment is discerning what are your feelings and emotions versus somebody else's. So what I realized when I had anxiety that. A lot of the anxiety I was feeling was actually, in fact, not my own. The support practitioner that I go to taught me about what it means to be an empath. And she said, I believe you're an empath. And so the more I learned about it, I realized, yeah, I am an empath. I was feeling the energy of different environments I was in. To be honest, like, um, doctor's offices can feel very, I think they're very sterile. And I don't know, Mm -hmm. the energy there, I feel anxiety there other environments some places where my for example like some places like my daughter's old dance studio there was such negative energy there that for some of the recitals and stuff like that or performances i remember one recital i felt or it was a performance i should say like a dance competition thing Mm -hmm. and i felt fine walking in i sat down and i was like And then during her dance, I felt anxiety. Actually, during the dance, I was fine. But like leading up to it, I felt anxiety. I'm like, what is going on? And at some point, I realized, I saw, because the the theater was not crowded. There was only a few parents whose kids were performing at the time. But I I turned around, and I looked, and it was this parent who was not very nice Mm -hmm. (laughs) behind me. I was like, oh. Okay, and so empaths are—they're kind of—I—I I I think of like the mood rings that from when I was young, you know, you pick up on the moods. <laughs>
1: Just from, put it on and know what what the color determines what mood, exactly. Moods
0: yeah. is. So we're kind of like feeling feelings detectors. Excuse me, feeling detectors, and so healing anxiety meant learning to distinguish between. Subtle and sometimes not subtle differences between my feelings and what feelings belong to others that I was picking up on. And that requires you to constantly tune, like check in with yourself. Like if I was feeling, like for example, that, um, that dance performance, I walked in and I was like, I knew I was fine. And then later on I was like okay why am I feeling this uncomfortable and for it to be that much of a shift I realized it's learning that it's not me there's there's nothing wrong with me there's nothing wrong with if you're an empath there's nothing wrong with you but it's like if there's if it comes like a big difference like that a lot of times it's not you it's the energy that you're picking up on and of course you know a dance competition that's not great energy there anyways it's a very harsh energy. Anything that's like competitive, like that, and it's not to say that you or your kids can't be in competitions if that's what you love. But just being aware of the and the energy, especially in the dance world, it can be very uh, catty. Is that the right word?
1: I was going to say brutal, but okay, sure.
0: Well, brutal, catty, and very um, and superficial about a lot of things, but. So for those of you who believe you're an empath, and the questions are in the book, and I'll go over them if you, to see if, if you think you're an empath. So if you believe you're an empath, then this is why, you know, this is your sensitivity. If anyone's ever said to you, you're too sensitive, well, because you're an empath, and this is nothing to be shamed for, it's actually a gift, So some questions are, are you sensitive to sounds, light, sensations, and smells? Do large crowds drain you? Are you drawn to nature, animals, or babies? Do you have a strong desire to help people? Are you unable to watch scary or violent TV shows or movies, which I can't. (laughs) Yeah, you're not a fan. No. Do you need a lot of quiet, alone time to recharge? Are you prone to overeating to deal with emotional upset? And so she talks about this book, Dr. Judith Orloff's book, The Empath Survival Guide. She describes three types of empaths, emotional empath, you absorb other people's feelings and emotions, physical empath, you feel other people's physical symptoms in your body, and intuitive empath, you have an incredibly strong intuition and can pick up on energy from other sources. I, you know, for me, I'm, I'm a combination of all Mm 3 Uh, I can feel when somebody else has stuff going on in their body. So again, it becomes very important to come into yourself, check in with yourself, because I think a lot of times as empaths, we're so outside of ourselves because we feel so much of other people and environments that it's incredibly important to come back into ourselves to so we know how we're feeling. Right. So part of empath protection, protecting yourself as an empath, is being able to discern what is yours and what isn't. So talking about the girl in my son's class, part of what the reason I came home and cried is because I was picking up on her sadness and her frustrations and probably her fear. So start observing how you feel by yourself and how you feel around different people And how you feel in different environments and in situations. That's part of beginning to discern what is yours and what isn't. Like I said before, new uncomfortable feelings that seem to just pop up, they're probably not yours. Pay attention to who's around you. Pay attention to your environment. And the more you're able to realize what's yours and what isn't, that's another layer to healing anxiety. And, by, and to, to do that is, as I said before, you have to keep bringing the focus back inside yourself. That's the second step of empath protection. The first to discern what is yours and what isn't. And then to constantly bring your focus back into yourself. Like, okay, I'm feeling this from others, but this is how I'm feeling. And keep tuning into yourself. I feel like anxiety is because we're too outside of ourselves. We're too outside of ourselves, picking up on the dysfunction of the world around us that we really need to come back into ourselves and stay rooted and grounded there so that we can heal. So I list some in the book, some empath protection practices, which when done regularly and consistently will keep you rooted and grounded in yourself, making you less affected by other people in environments. So even though you, you do the empath protection practices, you know, still be careful about who you surround yourself with and the environments where you spend time. You know, for example, you think about like going to a bookstore versus going to a bar. That's just, that's an extreme example, but you know, one is going to feel very cozy. The other one isn't. Right. So you know, choose, be selective about who you're around and the environments that you're in to protect yourself, but also to fuel yourself. So I talk about some uh, grounding exercises to help, to help with uh, empath protection. So as an empath, because of the sensitivity, it's important to protect yourself and protect your, your energy so that you, quite honestly, so you don't have anxiety. So I talk about some grounding exercises. So touch or hug a tree, walk barefoot in nature, or just in your yard. Again, any time in nature is very grounding. Um, Take a sea salt bath, which mimics ocean water. Any kind of um, water, lakes, oceans, streams. You can swim in them, or you can just even just sit by them, just watching the water run. It's very grounding and healing take a walk in the rain you know visit or plant a garden listen to bird song focusing on your breath feeling the warm sun on your face the other one is um energy protection protecting your energy and i really like kyle's Grays. um on his website he has a lot of free information about energy protection in particular archangel michael is the angel of protection praying to him, saying, you know, thank you for protecting me, thank you for surrounding me with your blue light of protection, will protect your energy. And then I also, like, uh, I talk about, um, you know, in terms of energy protection, but this is also really good for processing emotions, is connecting to the moon and the moon goddesses. The moon is all about, it seemed, because it has a cyclical nature, the moon, it seem it's Viewed by many cultures as feminine, but it's also you know the moon is also about because the moon comes out at night, so I feel like it kind of brings out these deep emotions from you that you don't know are there. So it helps to like Mm -hmm. draw these emotions out. There's um, Archangel Haniel is a great one to pray to. She's the Archangel of the Moon. There's also Freya who helps to lift any fog or illusion. So you see the truth of any situations or sometimes your feelings. And then I talk about crystals and organites. Crystals and organites are great. You know, when, when you're going out, like if you know, you're going to be in a, really any environment, but especially a harsh environment or around like a difficult, toxic person have organites with you. Organites are a combination of metals, crystals, and minerals. That protect us from EMFs, electrical and magnetic fields, and other negative energy and frequencies. I have organite. My support practitioner, she makes these beautiful organites and also like organite necklaces. She's made my daughter organite earrings because I. She did help you know to help protect my daughter from energies too. So when I leave the house, I always have something on. Either crystals in my pocket, a crystal bracelet on, crystal necklace. And I also, if I'm having a hard time, a lot of times I bring out my moonstone crystal, which connects to the moon and the energy from the moon. And that helps me to process my feelings and my emotions. But all these are things you can do to protect your your sensitivity and your energy as an empath, as an empath, you just, you need that extra protection. You need that extra, the extra work around you so that you can live comfortably in the world and function comfortably. And it that really helps to heal anxiety. So to finish off this podcast, I'm going to read the last section of my book, um, the human experience that I'm oh, sorry, not in my book of the chapter. It is human nature to experience emotions. It's the whole point of life. It's why you're here. Yes, you're sensitive. Yes, you're emotional, and it's a gift. Celebrating your emotions will allow you to fully appreciate your ability to have extra insight. Your feelings and emotions are your perspective about your life experiences and is unique compared to others. Completely accepting and embracing your emotions will transform your healing. Fooling stepping into your emotions and feelings teaches you how to discern between what is yours and what only ever belonged with others. Consistently surrounding yourself with protective energy and emotionally soothing practices will help to calm your nervous system, giving you some relief from anxiety. Being patient and giving yourself time for emotions to move through you will ease your anxiety as well. Thank you for listening. Next month we'll cover Chapter 2. And as a reminder, if you've enjoyed my book and you've found it helpful, please leave me an Amazon review. Thank you.
1: Thank you.